I remember when the Cleveland Cavaliers selected LeBron James as the first overall pick in the 2003 NBA draft. Uh, We'll throw that picture up here in a second. There's LeBron uh, back in 2003. It was one of the most anticipated draft picks in the history of the sport. Uh, He was only 18 years old. Imagine that, 18 years old. He was coming straight out of high school. Um, But in his first regular season game, he scored 25 points. His very first game that he played. And by the end of that first season, he received the NBA Rookie of the Year Award. Um, In 2006, uh, a few years later, he led Cleveland to their first appearance in the playoffs since 1998. And then the following year, in 2007, he led them to the NBA Finals for their first time ever as a team. Although they lost to the Spurs that year, um, and some of you know kind of the trajectory of LeBron's career over time. But I want to focus on this beginning of his career, because in the midst of this rise to kind of superstardom, a gigantic banner was hung on the side of a building in downtown Cleveland. Uh, that was sponsored by Nike. And as you can see there, it had this picture of LeBron dunking. And the phrase on the banner says, we are all witnesses. Um, That banner was then replaced uh, in 2007 with another one uh, showing LeBron doing his his pregame chalk toss that he was kind of well known for. Um, And it, it had the same tagline, we are all witnesses. That phrase captured this sense that the people in Cleveland were witnessing something special by this this young man, LeBron James, um, coming into his own in the beginning of his career. That that they were were kind of proclaiming this message that that we are witnesses to to this this star who could become potentially the greatest NBA player of all time. Today we are beginning a new sermon series for the summer that is called Witnesses. We're going to be looking at passages from the book of Acts where we see men and women who are witnesses to something much greater than the rise of a basketball star. They had witnessed the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the past few weeks, uh, we have been going through a, a series during the the weeks following Easter, where we looked at these moments when Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, appeared to different followers of his disciples. And what he was doing in in these weeks, you know, today is is sometimes called Ascension Sunday. We're going to be reading a passage from, of, of Jesus' Ascension. But what he was doing is over those 40 days, he was preparing his followers For that day, the day when he would no longer be physically present with them, but the day that he would then send them out on this mission that he had for them to proclaim the good news of what Jesus had done through his life, death, and resurrection. And so today, as we begin with the the first verses of the book of Acts, it's sort of a a bridge passage in some ways from what we've been looking at in in the end of John's gospel and heading into the summer months where we'll be looking at, at the book of Acts and And Jesus ascends to heaven. He commissions his followers as his witnesses. And we're going to think a little bit about what does that mean for us? What does it mean to be witnesses? Again, not not witnesses of 
of LeBron James, but witnesses of Jesus Christ. Um, because as, as Nike does say in that tagline, we are all witnesses. We are witnesses. How is that? We're going to look at that today in our passage. So our text today is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We'll have those verses on the screen, uh, or you can follow along in your Bibles. Luke, the author of Acts, writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates The Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, your word which is living and active we pray that you would give us ears to hear uh, your, your word to us today, Lord, as, as you speak to us, Lord, about how you were commissioning these first disciples as witnesses to what they had seen and heard and how you are, are calling us to be witnesses as well. And so shape us, mold us, Lord, and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. As we focus on, on this idea of, of witnesses in this passage, and we're going to be kind of really focusing on, on that verse 8, um, where Jesus uses that, that term of talking, calling them to be witnesses. I want to look at, at three questions today. First is, what is the content of our witness? What is the content of our witness? Second is, where do we witness? And then how do we witness? So let's start with that first question. What is the content of our witness? Well, that word witness Uh, both in the Bible and also in our society, is often primarily used in the context of a court of law, right? We often hear, think about a witness as someone who who testifies in court. Um, That that person could be an eyewitness, which means that that they actually saw something that happened that related to the case, and, and they're being called to speak about what they saw. Sometimes in a court of law, they they might call an expert witness, Someone who wasn't maybe there that saw the events, but, but who is bringing some expert knowledge uh, that, that informs the case, that's relevant to the case. Well, in verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, 
you will be my witnesses. So what this means is that, that they were being called to testify or speak about what they had seen and heard about who? About Jesus. You are my witnesses. You are the ones who have seen and heard, and, and now you are going to be the ones who will witness to what you've seen. And so, what is the content of our witness? Jesus, we, we see first is that Jesus called the disciples to witness about him. To witness about him. Now, I want you to notice, and maybe that maybe sounds kind of basic to you, but I want you to notice the significance of this, that the content of their witness is a person. The content of their witness is is Jesus. They weren't called to be expert witnesses on theology or on apologetics. They weren't called to be witnesses about a particular set of beliefs, even, or a political philosophy, or even ethical issues. Their primary calling was to be witnesses to the person and work of Jesus. As we go through the book of Acts over the coming weeks, we're going to see that that's exactly what happens. That the content of what the apostles proclaim, it's all about Jesus. It's about who he is. It's about what he's done. Let me ask you a question. Does the same thing apply to us today? Those of us who are believers, are we called primarily to be witnesses to who Jesus is and what he has done? Or, or is there something else that should be the content of our witness today? I think that, that most Christians would probably agree that we are called to witness about Jesus as well. Right? That that is also our, the content of our witness too, is, is Jesus Christ. But I want you to think for a moment. Is that the primary message that our world receives from the church. I think for some people in our world, the primary message that they hear from Christians or that they maybe associate with Christians is actually a political message um, related to, 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 to various issues. And, and you can see this on, on both sides of the spectrum, even among Christians, right? Um, sometimes the message that, that's very amplified in our culture is, you know, from, from the political right has to do with issues related to abortion and gay marriage or, or from the, the political left. It's, it's about social justice or, or race. For other people, the primary message that they associate with Christians has to do with personal behavior. That the message that they get from the church is, is that we are to, to live a certain way, that are, to avoid certain vices and to develop your character. And, and so the message, the witness that they hear is, is about a code of morality, a code of ethics. The writer Sarah Condon, um, who writes and speaks for a ministry called Mockingbird Ministries, um, was listening to a podcast from Mockingbird recently where, where she was sharing that her family had, had just recently found out that there was another family member that they had never known about before in their family. This person that, that, was, that was a part of their family that, that nobody knew about. And this person had been searching for their family for 15 years. 
and they finally found them on the internet. But as this person was kind of researching this, this family that they knew that this, this, this is my family, I've never met them, I'm a sort of estranged from this family, and as they started researching about this family, they, they found out that, that this family was, was very religious. Sarah and her husband are very involved in ministry in the church. And as they were looking about information about them on the, on, on the internet, found, found this. And this person began to wonder, I wonder if this family would actually want to meet me. If this family would actually want to talk to him. And Sarah Condon says that, that when she finally did meet this, this individual and heard about his hesitation to contact them because they were Christians, it crushed her. She felt horrible because she realized that she almost didn't get to meet this family member because of how he perceived that Christians would receive him. He, he had a certain picture of what Christians were like, and it was not a picture of, of people who would welcome and embrace him, but it was a picture of of judgment, condemnation. What's likely the case is that th- this person had never met a Christian who had presented a clear witness to Jesus, to the love and grace and mercy of Jesus, the Jesus who ate with tax collectors and sinners, the Jesus who reached out to the least, the last, and the lost, that somehow in the midst of, of our culture, that this person had never heard about Jesus but who Jesus is. And that if these people are followers of Jesus, then, then of course they are going to want to meet me and welcome me. But that's not the message that he heard. Now, I'm not saying that moral behavior or political discussion is, unim- is unimportant. Right? Christians, we should think about how our faith informs these things. And, and that can be a part of our dialogue in the church and even with, in society. But... When people primarily associate Christian witness with those things and not with Jesus and his gospel, there's a problem there. The content of our witness should be focused on Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us. Now, for Jesus' disciples... That meant speaking about what they had personally seen and heard from Jesus during his ministry. I mean, when they proclaimed Jesus' resurrection, they had actually seen the resurrected Jesus. They had, they had touched his hand. You know, they, they, they knew that he had risen from the dead. That was the content of their witness, right? was based on eyewitness evidence. What about us, though? Now, 2,000 years removed from, from Jesus, how do we witness about Jesus when we haven't seen him in the flesh or heard him preach with our ears? Well, for one thing, we have received the testimonies of those original eyewitnesses that have been written down for us in the Gospels, in the New Testament. And so we can testify to what we have received from them, that as that has been passed on to us, we are now witnesses of what, what they saw and heard. But there's another element of how we can witness to Jesus. Because we can also testify to what we have seen 
and heard and experienced of the risen Jesus in our lives and in our world today because our Lord Jesus is alive. He is risen. In verse 1 of our text, Luke writes that his first book, the Gospel of Luke, he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. I want you to note that that little word there, began. It's crucial. What Luke is saying here is that, that, that in his first gospel, which is all about Jesus' life, that, that he wrote about the beginning of what Jesus did and taught. But that actually, Jesus didn't stop doing things or teaching when he ascended into heaven. That Jesus is still doing things. He is still speaking. He is still acting. He's still teaching. The book of Acts is actually the account of how Jesus continued what he continued to do and to teach, although he did it not in flesh as a human being on this earth, but he did it through the Holy Spirit. And he did it through his new body here on earth, the church. Jesus continues to move and to act, and, and we're going to see that throughout this series this summer as we look at at what happened in the early church in the book of Acts. And guess what? Jesus, he didn't just stop doing it in the book of Acts either. He continues to do the same thing today. He is still at work, still present with us. Jesus said when he, before he left at the end of Matthew's gospel, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I am with you. Jesus is present. He is, he's with us. He's at work in our lives. He's at work in our world How has Jesus met you in your life recently? How has Jesus encountered you? What is he teaching you? Do you spend time in silence and prayer and scripture listening to what Jesus wants to say to you? He wants to speak. How is he speaking to you through his body? The church, how is he speaking to you through his word? And what does he want you to share with others about him as his witnesses? So the content of our message, the content of our witness is Jesus Christ speaking about what he has done in the past, but also what he continues to do in our lives even today. But the question, the next question I want to look at is where? Do we witness? So if we're called to to speak about Jesus, where do we do that? Well, in Acts 1-8, again, that same verse, Jesus says this, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's kind of, you know, a lot of us have heard that before. But to Jesus' disciples, when they heard Jesus say this, it was probably very shocking to them. First, Jesus starts with Jerusalem. Okay, it's the city where the disciples were at the time. And you can imagine the disciples thinking, okay, sounds good, Jesus. We're here. We're in the city. We can handle this. You know, we can, we can begin to, to speak this message to people. You know, probably not everybody in Jerusalem is going to like this message. And we see that in the book of Acts, that there are some people who don't like what the disciples say in Jerusalem. But they may be thinking, okay, we can, we can handle Jerusalem. All right. Next, Judea. Judea was the surrounding region. All right, 
think we can handle Judea too, Jesus. It's going to stretch us a little bit. We have to kind of spread out. But, but I think we can do it. Okay, next. Samaria. Whoa! Now you're pushing a little bit too hard, Jesus. See, Samaria was where the Samaritans lived. A group of people who were not Jewish, who were seen by the Jewish people as inferior. And there was a lot of animosity between Jews and Samaritans. In fact, earlier in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 9, there's an incident where Jesus sends messengers to a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the Samaritans there don't welcome Jesus. And so two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, ask Jesus, So, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That's their response to the Samaritans. Jesus rebukes James and John for this. But that's how the disciples felt about Samaritans. They were very eager to want to call down hellfire upon the Samaritans. And now Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses there in Samaria. Hmm. I don't know if we want to go to Samaria. And then Jesus finishes with, to the ends of the earth. You want us to leave Israel and go to those pagans in the Roman Empire? The people who are oppressing us? The people who who are the furthest? You want us to go to the ends of the earth, Jesus, and witness to them? Where does Jesus call us to witness? Where do we witness? We, too, are called to witness to the people closest to us, to people we don't like, and to people very different from us. Who's your Jerusalem? Your Judea? Now, sometimes being witnesses in Jerusalem is actually very challenging because that means talking about Jesus with people who you know really well and who know you really well, people who you see regularly. And and sometimes that can be very uncomfortable to speak about Jesus to to those people, maybe your coworkers or your next-door neighbor or a family member. But Jesus, he sends us as witnesses to the people closest to us. Who is your Samaria? Who are the people that when you hear Jesus say, I want you to go to them, you think, whoa, I don't know if I want to go there, Jesus. Might be someone that you don't like very much. Maybe someone who you might be tempted to want to call down fire from heaven on. Okay, that, that might be a little bit extreme. Okay, I'm hoping that none of us want to do that. But, but there are those people, right? Who sometimes get under your skin. And maybe, maybe it's someone who's on the opposite side of the political spectrum as you. You're constantly getting into political arguments with them, and, and you can't understand how they can see things that way. Is Jesus calling you to stop arguing with them and start looking for ways to testify to who Jesus is? To them, to love them, to show them mercy and grace. What about to the ends of the earth? I think often when we hear that phrase, we think that's talking about missionaries who leave their home country, who move to another part of the world, learn another language, 
and share the gospel way out there. And that's for, that's not for me. That's for, that's for those people, those missionaries that God's called. Now, God, he may call some people to do that. Our church supports missionaries that are bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth in that way. But being a witness to the ends of the earth can actually look a little bit closer to home. Here in Brooklyn, the ends of the earth have come to us. For some of us, that might mean getting to know the many Chinese immigrants on our block, in this neighborhood. For others of us, it it might mean getting to know some of our Muslim neighbors a little south of us in in Bay Ridge, or, or getting to know some of our Hasidic Jewish neighbors in Borough Park. For our youth works directors who arrived here in Brooklyn last night, welcome to the ends of the earth. You're here. Your teams that are coming are going to be able to experience some of that. We are all called to be witnesses to people very different from us. And because when you look around this room, the us in this room is actually quite different. We are very different from each other in different ways. What that means for you might be very different from what it means for the person sitting down the pew from you. Maybe what God is calling you to is to be a witness to someone in a different generation than you, someone much older than you, someone much younger than you. Maybe he's calling you to witness to someone from a very different socioeconomic status or educational background than you. I don't know what that looks like, but I want you to sit with that a little bit. What does that look, what does that mean to be sent into the ends of the earth, even here in our community? Now, at this point you might be feeling a little overwhelmed. Maybe you're thinking, man, I'm supposed to be a witness to this person and that person and I'm supposed to talk about Jesus and maybe you're starting to feel a little overwhelmed with all this. If that's you, it's probably also how the disciples felt when Jesus spoke these words to them. Because then he ascended into heaven and he left and it says that, that they were left just staring up at the sky. And they were probably staring up at the sky because Jesus just went up, you know, he was just gone, right? But also, I can imagine them kind of feeling like, where'd he go? <laughs> what are we supposed to do next? You just tell us to be witnesses and then, and then you're gone, Jesus? How are they supposed to accomplish this mission that Jesus had given them? And that's the last question I want to just think about a little bit today is how do we witness How are we supposed to embrace this call to be Jesus' witnesses to the people around us? The last part of that verse, verse 8, that we've been focusing on, at the beginning of it, before Jesus says to the disciples, you will be my witnesses, he tells them this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He's basically telling them, guys, You don't have any power in yourselves to do this. You're not going to be effective witnesses through your brilliance, your ingenuity, your cleverness, but you will receive power beyond your abilities when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The power to do this doesn't come from yourself. It comes from God. And it will be given to you. Here Jesus is referring to what was going to happen just 10 days later on the day of Pentecost 
which is recorded in the next chapter, in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, when we remember and celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on those early believers. And Jesus actually refers to this earlier in this passage, in verses 4 and 5, when he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. How do we witness? We don't witness through our power and abilities. We witness through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit who came upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost, that same Spirit lives within you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 The Apostle Paul says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Guess what? You and I, we don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to be given to us. The moment we believed, we were marked with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit entered us. And he is the one who empowers us to witness. A couple months ago, I got together with another dad um, whose daughter was in Lucas's preschool class. And we've kept in touch with each other since then, although our kids are in different schools right now. And as I got together with, 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 with this guy, I didn't go into that conversation thinking, okay, I am going to witness about Jesus to this guy tonight. No, we've just built up a friendship over the past couple years. And over that, that time, God has opened the door to talk about spiritual things with him every once in a while. But this particular evening, as we got together, the conversation started leading me to sharing with him about the sermon series that we went through in our church recently as we went through the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And I just kind of started sharing with him what God had been teaching me through through that book, through this series, about how, how he was teaching me how to be more aware of my emotions and how to develop better rhythms of work and rest in my life and to better embrace my limits and the reality of loss in life. And some of you who went through that series, you know, those, those are probably familiar themes that we talked about. But as I was sharing this with him, you know what? It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel awkward. And he didn't immediately try to change the subject. He, he actually was genuinely interested. You see, the truth is that Jesus had been doing something in my life. He'd been teaching me. He'd been shaping me through his word, through, through times of prayer with him. And so it actually made a lot of sense to want to share that with my friend, to share what Jesus had been doing in me. I was excited about it. I was experiencing Jesus' work in my life as good news, and I genuinely wanted to share that news with him. And guess what? That is the work of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes when when we think about being empowered by the Holy Spirit to witness, 
We think that it, it means that we have to, we're going to stand up in front of a crowd of people and preach the gospel or, or that we're going to feel this intense emotion that drives us to, to just go up to complete strangers on the street and start witnessing and talking about Jesus with, with these people on the street. Now, the Holy Spirit can do that. He may do that with you. But I think a lot more often, he empowers us to witness by simply doing the ordinary work of transforming us through the power of the gospel and by teaching us and shaping us and helping us to fall in love with Jesus more and more. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not my work. That's what Jesus does. That's what the Holy Spirit does in me. And guess what? When that starts to happen, that will empower us to witness to how amazing Jesus is. Part of Nike's We Are All Witnesses marketing campaign around LeBron James was a t-shirt with one word on it, witness. You ever see that picture of some of LeBron's fans? And it was a way for, for fans of LeBron to identify themselves. They were eager to let people know that they were fans of LeBron. They wanted to plaster it all over themselves. Brothers and sisters, we have someone infinitely greater to tell the world about. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is gracious. He is merciful. And we are all witnesses to his greatness. Let us go to our Jerusalem and Judea and even Samaria and to the ends of the earth and let us proclaim this good news through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that he has made a way for us to cross from death to life, from condemnation to freedom, from discouragement to hope, and to offer, and he offers these gifts and he offers himself to us freely. How can we not shout that good news from the top of our lungs to the ends of the earth? We are all witnesses. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have been given this amazing message to share with the world a message that is centered in you, Jesus, and who you are, what you've done for us in rescuing us from our sin, from death itself, from shame and from hopelessness. Lord, help us to, to sit with you and to hear your voice, your living, active voice, your, your presence that you promise you are with us, that we would would sit with you and be so filled with love and gratitude that we cannot help but be your witnesses. Show us, Lord, what Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth looks like for each of us in our world, in our lives. And we thank you that we don't go to share that message on our own, but we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and our lives transform us deeply so that we 
We'll proclaim this word in our actions, in our words. We pray that you would do that in these directors from YouthWorks this summer, to the groups that come, that you would do that in the lives of the youth that will be here this summer, that you would do that in our congregation as we witness to our community through barbecues and thrilling Thursdays, and that you do it in our lives as we just interact with the people that we bump shoulders with day to day. Lord, shape us and mold us as your witnesses. We're humbled, Lord, that you would choose to use us despite our brokenness and our fears. We thank you for your grace. We pray that you would empower us to go with this good news. In Jesus' name, amen.